Hi, I'm Lori. And I'm Kevin, and this is No Longer Ashamed. We are survivors of childhood sexual abuse. And we're here to share with you that if you're a survivor, you don't have to be alone. Our logo is a salamander, and the reason is a fire salamander can survive a fire, and you have survived a fire. We want to help you with your journey to healing and hope. We are all survivors together, and we walk this journey together. And you are not alone. By telling our stories, we are hoping that you will have the courage to share in your stories as well and find your voice. Because stories are so important, and for so long, I know that I wouldn't tell my story. But when I finally shared my story, that's when I got my freedom. And this is our journey and your journey to healing and hope. So come with us. Our guest tonight is Peggy Ray, and I'm so excited because I met Peggy many moons ago when we were both working for Lutheran Community Services, and she was had started a family resource center. But even before that, when the Oso slides hit, do you remember that, Kevin? Oh, yeah. Her and her husband are first response trainers, so they were there oh. in the midst of all of it and helping all the first responders, and, and she's still helping the families to this day. So Peggy has been wow. all about teaching, training, and community service, and so I am just, and I was so surprised that you had such a rough childhood with all the amazing work you do. So we'll just have you tell us your story and then we'll let make sure people know how to get a hold of you at the end. Does that sound good? Yep, sounds great. So my name is Peggy Ray and I have, we have a combined family. I have seven kids and six grandchildren um, now. And if you would have told me that back in the day when I was a young child struggling through everything that I went through as a family, I would not have believed anything that was happening today back then. We grew up in a very rough family upbringing. When it comes to just my mom was a single mom for many years. My dad was an alcoholic and my mom went to the lawyer with two black eyes and a broken nose. My dad does not drink anymore and is an amazing father now, but when we were younger, not so much. And we've forgiven him for that because he's an amazing dad now. People can't change their past, but they can change their future, right? So when I was just, you know, a little girl, I was blonde haired and really cute and running around and doing my thing. And unfortunately, back then, there was a lot of, and still maybe to this day, a lot of sexual predators that would prey on little girls that didn't really have people uh, watching out for her. And so at a young age, I was molested by my best friend's father. And I bring this up because at such a young age, I was nine going on 10. And I was so afraid because I was afraid that I was going to lose my best friend if I told. I would never get to spend the night at her house again if I told anybody. I know that she knew that it was happening, but also still scared to say because she told me one night, if anything happens tonight, kick me, wake me up. And so that night I did. So I know that she was awake because I kicked the heck out of that young lady. And, but you freeze in that moment, right? And all the things just go through your mind. And you don't know what to do in that moment, especially being nine or 10. And so I suffered that abuse for a while until somebody came into our classroom and talked to us about what to do if that happens. 
And I don't see that much anymore in, in classrooms. And that makes me sad because that's the only way and the only outlet I had to tell my truth and, and to tell somebody what was happening to me was that safe place. Those The people coming in telling me that that was not okay. I think every kid should learn about a no-no square and what that means. I think that's super important because I didn't, I didn't know. And I was just so scared and I was scared because I thought that, you know, I'm a young girl, he's an adult man and who, who are they going to believe? Right. So when I finally did tell my stepfather at the time was also a sexual predator, unfortunately. So he went over there apparently and told the guy, you know, to leave me alone or he was going to call the police, but nothing really happened. So that guy got to run around the complex that we were living in and just smile at me every time he seen me. It was pretty disgusting, but we moved away and my stepfather was abusing my sister at a very young age and she ran away from home and when she ran away from home, my mother divorced my stepdad and I thought we were all clear and safe. But unfortunately, a couple of years passed and my mom took him back. So my mom brought him back into our lives and then he started coming for me. And so once I finally was able to tell somebody, my mom left him again and we were out on our own again. So comes back to Lake Elsinore, California. We moved to Lake Elsinore to be family. I, you know, got my high school. I was a cheerleader, a freshman year of cheerleading and drama, choir, thought everything was going great. Came home one day to my mom saying, Hey, we lost the house and I'm going to move to my friend's house that has that you can be 55 or older to live there, but no, nobody younger. So, and so I kind of just looked at her with a blank stare on my face and said, so what about me? <laughs> where am I going to go? And she said, well, don't you have a place that you can go stay the night, like at a friend's house? And so from there on out, I went to school every day and I would ask friends saying, Hey, you know, Lori, would you, would your parents mind if I spent the night tonight? And sometimes I got to sleep on people's couches. Sometimes I got to sleep at girlfriends' houses. Other times I slept in the car with my boyfriend, or at the time we would sleep at his, his house when his parents would allow it. So at that point I became homeless. I really thought my life didn't matter. And so when everything felt so hopeless, I actually went home and I took a knife to my stomach and I tried to complete suicide. I just thought that if it, the world would be a better place if I wasn't here, like I, I wouldn't struggle and they, they would, nobody would have to worry about me. Nobody would have to, you know, house me and, and be concerned about me, but it took a teacher to really show me that my life mattered and that she seen me because I felt not seen at all. Like nobody cared if I lived or died. Thank God that I did not complete suicide. The knife did not go in as far as at that time I was hoping. And thank God that it didn't, right? Because now today I help people mm. that have suicidal thoughts and um, I will deploy to wherever they are to help them walk them through it. Because as I am older now, I realize that suicide is not about ending your life. It's about ending the pain that you're going through and helping people through that and helping them understand that your DNA does not define your future. And I could be angry about every time. And it wasn't just, I gave you guys one uh, example of my life of a man touching me, but it was my whole life. Every time I turned around, there was a man trying to touch me, show me their privates, all the things I babysat for a, a gentleman. He and I would come early morning and he would, he would take me from his 
daughter's bed to his bed and tried to get me to do stuff with him. And when I wouldn't and refused, he tried to offer me money for like hush money. And I didn't take it. I was 10 years old at the time. And I didn't know what was really happening and why he was offering me this money. But I knew that I could not take this money. And then I never babysat for his kids again, which was really sad because I was really close to those kids and they were close to me. So I just feel like telling my story is super powerful because I know I'm not alone out there. I know I'm not the first person to be sexually abused as a little girl and growing up and going through those traumas and not understanding. But I do know to this day that you have to move forward and I can't be angry and upset and blame any of my problems on what happened back then because I'm never going to get over them, but I'm going to move through that. So that is kind of like my story in a nutshell. I have now, you know, seven beautiful kids and six grandkids. And I did a lot of running in my adult life until I found my husband, Nathan. So anytime there was a problem, I just ran. And I think that I learned that from my mom, right? Anytime there was a problem, she also just packed us up and we ran. We, we've moved many, 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 many times in our lives. And I said, I was going to do better for my kids on that. And I didn't, I was a single mom for 10 years and I moved them around a lot. And I did differently from what my parents did. And I wish I could turn back time and, and fix that for my children. But I know now that they're going to go forward and do differently than I did also. So there's so many things I want to touch on. First of all, what is a no-no square? Yeah, I was so, wondering that. So a no-no square is the top of your breast line to the like your thigh area. And so that is a no-no square. And that's something that you can teach a child that that is your no-no square. So that is a place where somebody's touching you there that you need to tell an adult and that you need to tell someone right away. Even if they say they will threaten a young child, they, they don't know. You know, um, I was threatened that nobody would believe me. I was threatened that I would never get to see my best friend again if I told what was happening. And in a young child's mind, they don't understand, right? And I really, you're taught to obey an adult, right? Yeah, you're yeah. taught to do what they say. And so as a young child, I was so confused by that. And so if we teach our children young that there is such a thing called a no-no square, that nobody can touch you there. And if somebody is touching you there, you need to tell somebody. I like that. That's really important. And you also mentioned that there was a teacher that was recognizing you when you were a teenager. And and what did that mean to you? What 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 did that look like at that time? Was that when you were being suicidal? Oh yeah. Absolutely. I was definitely suicidal. I was doing drugs at the time. I was spinning out of control. I was trying to find my happy. I was so freaking lost. Mm -hmm. And it was the uh, athletic teacher that came to me and said, Peggy, I know something is different. Something has changed. What is going on with you? And I just broke down and I told her and she just listened to me and she seen me and I felt seen for the first time. And she told me that my life did matter and that I was meant to do good things. And I believed her. And she kept me going. And it just proves that it doesn't have to be a professional that helps somebody mm -hmm. through this. It doesn't have to be somebody with, you know, a doctorate behind their name. It was somebody who just listened to what I had to say. And I really felt seen and heard. And I believed her when she said that I have a purpose in this life. And she was right. Yeah. And sometimes, <laughs> yeah, it's just, I know when I was in that kind of state that I didn't have anyone really to reach out to and I don't think anyone recognized what I was going through and I think that's why it took me so long to get out of that state but I think it's important to just pay attention and when you see someone's behavior changing especially in very drastic ways like that just to check in with them 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And people are afraid to use the word suicide. They think that if you say it, you're going to put it in somebody's mind. But if mm -hmm. you are thinking that about something, I'm telling you, they're probably already thinking about it. And you just asking the question could possibly save their life. Yeah. That's you know, just showing them that they, that they are seen. You know, I yeah. always say, I see you, I hear you and what you say matters. And yeah. that is so powerful. One thing that we've really noticed is when kids are abused, by family member, anyone as a child, it sets them up to be vulnerable. And so when you said, every time I turned around, it's like, because of that, you were more vulnerable to all of these predator neighbors and men that, you know, you were babysitting for. And, you know, the biggest thing is that we always say is it's not your fault. But when you're a kid, you can't sort all of that out. And I think what's really hard is that when people then recognize and they get the help, they have a lot of guilt because they thought maybe they brought it on. Can you talk about that? Right. So definitely one example of that, perfect example. I just wanted to be with my best friend so much that she was having a nightly sleepover and I wanted to go, but I didn't want to sleep over because I knew that something would probably happen. Right. And so and we always slept in the living room on the floor. So I, I decided in my mind, my 10 year old brain, okay, I'm going to go there and I'm going to watch this TV with her and I'm going to go home after I'm not staying the night. Right. Well, I fell asleep. And about two in the morning, sure enough, her dad comes out and does the, what he's going to do. And I cried myself to sleep the rest after he left. And I really thought it was my fault. I put myself in that position. He thought I can't, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking if, if I wasn't there spending the night, then he wouldn't have been able to do that to me. But I chose to go spend the night. And it was, well, I didn't mean to spend the night. I, I was just going there to watch a movie, but I fell asleep. But in my mind, I, I, it was my fault because I went there knowing that her dad might do that. And at two o'clock in the morning, I couldn't leave the house and go to my house, even though it was an apartment complex, because you just don't do that at two in the morning. And at that point, nobody knew. So they would question, but I blamed myself because I was like, I just wanted to be with my friend so bad that, you know, I felt like I was putting myself in that position at that moment, a 10 year old child thought that and that is so sad and then yeah. once I finally told my truth he got to walk around and just smirk at me every time to a 10 year old child because he got away with it and he did get away with it because he never got prosecuted for it yeah was you there know? a time later in your life where you went to counseling or did some healing work what was what what happened for you I would never be where I am today without counseling and without somebody to talk to that it's so powerful to have that voice and that choice to be able to share with somebody, because if it's all locked in here, if it's all locked in here, um, it's going to burst out somehow. And most of the time they're burst of explosions and anger. So if you are able to talk them out slowly with somebody and unveil why and what actually happened to you and kind of work through that process, it helps you heal. I'm never going to forgive. And I know that might sound weird. I'm going to move through it, if that makes sense. So I'm not going to give my predator that approval or have people say, oh, I forgive him. No, I forgive myself. I forgive and give grace to myself for wanting to be with my friend and know that I did the best I could in the situation as a 10-year-old child to move forward through that. And I'm not going to let him control me with, with that anger. I'm going to be able to let go of that anger. And I was able to let go of that anger through talking it out and understanding and realizing how important it was to have therapy regarding those issues. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. We often hear that sometimes when you go to counseling, you don't really have the words of what happened because there's that child part of you that doesn't really know how to explain it. So when you go to therapy, you're able to get the words. And like our friend, Julie, who was trafficked, she didn't understand she was trafficked. She thought she was in domestic violence. And when she finally was able to go to counseling, she got the words, which then helped her heal even more because validation. And again, as a kid, I love how you said your 10-year-old brain had figured it out. But when, as an adult, you look at a 10-year-old, oh my goodness, you know? Yeah. Often as children, we think there's something wrong with us. And that's why we're targeted, that there's something wrong with us or something bad about us, or there's a reason that we're targeted and that it's our fault. It's something wrong with us. And then as we become adults and we, we go to therapy and we understand what was happening, you realize you're being targeted because you were vulnerable and you were a child. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There was definitely um, vulnerabilities there and opportunity there. And, and we just have to just move forward with it. And, you know, that piece of it has made me who I am today. Not saying that I would go back and go through that all over again, if I had the opportunity, but it has given me that sense of hope for other people that I can go now tell my story, share my story and help other people through what they're going through any, and get them connected into counseling and let them know that it's okay to have that counseling. That doesn't make you less than I struggled my whole life because of this feeling less than I felt so less than for all so many years of my life um, that I decided that it was time no more to feel less than, and that I am a good person. I've done amazing things. I'm going to do amazing things continuing. And there's always going to be that person that wants to just shove your head down under the water. And I'm just not going to let that happen anymore. Like I know my worth. And had I completed suicide 14 years, uh, when I was 14, you know, none of my kids would have existed. My grandkids would have existed. And it's not about ending your life. It truly is about ending your pain. And people just mm -hmm. don't realize that. Yeah. What was your turning point? Like what happened when you recognized that you could use this to help other people? I think when the first time somebody reached out to me when they were suicidal and I was able to talk them through it and talk them down and they came to me and said, and I shared this with you, Lori, they came to me and said, you know, Peggy, you saved my life. And I said, you know, I didn't save your life. You did that. You did that work. I was just holding on to it for you for a while. But when you can help somebody through their trauma and recognize and sit with somebody who's been sexually abused or sit with a child who's just not understanding what's going on and kind of talk them through that. I don't know what age was a turning point for me. I think probably around 18 years old, I knew that I was meant to do something more and I was meant to help people. And so for me, that's just been my goal. I wear hope on my wrist um, because that's what we have. That's what we can hang on to is hope. Hope that we know that this may be a tough time right now and it seems so unbearable, but tomorrow is a new day. We get to start our days over. Every day is a new day, a new beginning, a new chapter. Close the door from yesterday and walk forward into today. And some people just helping them see that, that is, you don't have to end your life. We just need to change those circumstances. So a couple of things I want to bring up. One is I had mentioned Oso and because this is national, Oso was a tremendous mountain slide that killed many, many people. And, and, um, my, yeah, my nephew, his, his nephew was also killed. He, he was the last one brought out Denver and uh, my nephew was a firefighter and they called him so he could carry him out. And so I had met Peggy after this and 
the people I worked with said, you got to meet Peggy, you got to meet Peggy. And because she had done so much work there and also opened a resource center. And the one thing that her and I really connect on is when people want to help people, they often are really bad at it. So what I love about Peggy is she knows how to help people with respect. So can you just talk about that? Because I think I think it would help people understand the difference between fixing and actually helping and supporting. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, most of us want to be fixers, right? So when somebody's mm-hmm. telling you there's a problem, right away, you almost, your brain almost shifts and you stop listening to what they're saying in the moment because now you're thinking about how how much or what you can do to fix their problem, right? So you're going through that brain. So you're missing probably about 50% of what they're saying, honestly, because you're already trying to come up with a solution. So I tell people that, please stop doing that. Stop trying to fix it. Stop trying to come up with a solution. Just sit and listen. Just listen. You have two ears and one mouth. Keep that mouth shut for a while. People need somebody to just listen, not to fix. And an example of this, I had somebody call the other day and we were chatting and I went right into trying to fix. And she said, she stopped. And that's because we've talked about it so much. She's like, Peggy, I'm not calling you to have you fix this. Can you just stop for a minute? I was like, I, I took a step back. And I was like, wait, what? She's like, I just, I, I don't want you to like, tell me why it's okay because of X, Y, and Z, I'm always the person, Peggy's always the person that's going to say like, let's look at the brighter side. And so I was doing that with her, but in a moment, she just really needed to get everything off her chest without me interrupting, trying to show her the brighter side. So I did appreciate her like calling me out on that because it is true. We just really need to listen, give respect and dignity. If you're going to sit down with somebody that is even suicidal or having a break, you're going to put away your cell phone's going to go off. It's going to be put away. You're going to look directly into their eyes. Give them that full eye contact. If you have an Apple watch on, take that Apple watch off because sometimes that's distracting because how many times have I talked to somebody and they're looking at their Apple watch because they got a message on their Apple watch. But for me, that's telling me they're looking at their time. Like, gosh, she's taking up a lot of my time. So, you know, so those are the things that you don't realize that you might be doing with somebody uh, when they're coming to you in a need. They just really need somebody to vent to. A lot of times they'll come up with their own solutions. We're not here to give them and guide them and, and walk them through it hand by hand. We are here to be by their side and help them and guide them in that way and and letting them talk to us and talk it out. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's so beautiful. And I love it that you shared an example of you being called out because I'm a coach. (laughs) And I'll tell you what, Kevin's wife is one of my best friends. And I will interrupt her. I will try to fix her. And I know better, (laughs) you know, so we we all do it, but we can all get better, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So why don't you tell us what you and your husband are doing now? So uh, my husband and I run an organization called Rays of Hope, LLC. So our last name's Ray. Uh, So I'm Peggy Ray. I like to tell people I'm Peggy Ray all day. That's how they remember me. But so we will deploy, we deploy disasters. Uh, Nathan and I have been to Haiti. We've been to Guatemala. Uh, We travel all around the world to help. And we teach emergency managers about compassion fatigue and what that looks like and field traumatology. Um, And then I do suicide prevention intervention. So I will go to and deploy to hospitals. I will go to crisis care centers. I will go to a bridge if I need to go to a bridge to talk somebody down who is trying to think about suicide and completing suicide. We never say commit suicide because commit 
is a bad thing, you know, mm. when you think about somebody being committed. So that's why we changed the verbiage to completed. So trying to complete suicide or completed suicide. So I teach people and buy people size when it comes to suicide. And then I also do grief and loss. So I teach grief and loss support. I still help those that lost loved ones in the Oso mudslide and their families. I still, after a, it's been eight years, still right there by them, their sides. They can call me anytime. And we do that. So we, we help facilitate classes. We will come to you. And um, we've had somebody that lost a loved one in the DSHS building years back due to suicide. And so we were able, they called us and we were able to go right there. We have dogs also that will deploy with us if asked, if requested. Um, and we brought the dog teams in and they were able to be with the people right there in their cubicles, just talking to them about what had just happened and their coworker and how they were feeling. Wow. So what, a lot of what you do <laughs> is free. You just, you know, go and it's, it's a business. It's not really a nonprofit. So if people want to support you or, or help out, what can they do? How can they be a part of it or volunteer? What, what is available for people to help you? Well, we don't really have anything for financial help really. And our services are free. And so we are just trying to kind of figure that out right now, but supporting us is just giving us those phone calls when there is somebody who is suicidal or anybody that is in a crisis situation. I, what I say my superpower is I am not a, a licensed professional. I am grief and loss support and I do suicide prevention intervention, but I'm not a certified uh, counselor. Um, so I, my superpower is uh, listening and connecting people. Mm -hmm. So if I will connect you into the right resources. If you are homeless, I will connect you into uh, housing with a housing navigator. And that is your choice if you want to be with a housing navigator or if you don't. If you, There's so many people that actually choose to be homeless. Mm -hmm. And, and that might seem weird to some people, but their mental health, we need to fix the mental health piece of mm -hmm. it first before we just throw housing at them. And not a lot of people understand that. So we'll help navigate that. I am an advocate for people. Um, so if you need an advocate, you can always call Rays of Hope and let us know like how we can support you. So anything financially, we don't really have yet, Lori, unfortunately. And we're still trying to figure that out because we are doing amazing work. And now we just have to figure out what that looks like. So oh. like somebody could hire you to come in and teach a class, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. And it's on our website. So yes, for classes, absolutely. Um, they can go right to our website and see what classes we teach and what that looks like, what the prices are and reach out to us that way. Definitely our website, raiseofhopellc.org. Because one thing we learned, Kevin's in construction and we interviewed former policeman who does suicide prevention in California. And he said that industry is there is so much suicide attempts and unhappiness and sadness. And so he will go and talk to them. And so, I, you know, part of having you on is I want to raise awareness that sometimes businesses just need, need to bring people like you in and have a class so that they know there is help. Because mm -hmm. as you know, when you grow up with abuse, we think it's normal until until we get help and then we know it's not. And so right. a lot of people living with sadness, living with grief and loss, they don't even understand that there is hope and there is help. And so I want people mm -hmm. to know that if they have a small business, call you, have you come in and teach their whole staff a class and even make them more aware for the community around them. Yes, absolutely. That, that is amazing. And that is exactly what we do to come in and just, it's kind of, so like, 
suicide prevention intervention, compassion fatigue, trauma-informed care is should be as important as like CPR training. Yeah right? Our mental health, our mental state should be as more important. We take better care of our teeth than we do our mental health, right? And people just think of mental health and they they think that, oh, if I go for help, people are going to think I'm crazy. If I go for help, it's going to show that I'm weak. And that is not the truth. If you go for help, that shows your strength. We cannot do it all. We cannot hold it all on ourselves. We cannot hold it all on our shoulders. We have to be able to take off our image armor, right? Every day we wake up, we put on image armor. If it's my eyelashes, that's image armor. My hair, all that's image armor, right? When we walk out the door, we have to have a safe place to be able to remove our image armor and be our true selves and just say, you know what, Lori, I'm talking today. Today sucks and I need help and I just need somebody to listen to me. Yeah. yeah. I think that's especially true for men because men normally don't go deep with anyone, you know, they, unless it's maybe their spouse. And even then, you yeah. know, men just don't want to be vulnerable because vulnerable seems weak or appears weak. And exactly. and going to therapy means that you've failed somehow or there's you're weak. There's something, you know, you need help. Men don't want help. They don't want to have that weakness. So it's especially important, uh, you know, for I men. I think they want help, but they don't want to admit that yes, they want They don't want to it. admit that they need help or want help. And yet, like you say, without having someone to talk about this stuff, you're just going to bottle it up and never get it out. And it's just going to eventually destroy your life. So for men, especially. Exactly. And it will eventually fester and it will come out in an explosive way that they don't mean. And and most of the time when I talk to people that have had a crazy explosion of anger, a fear, a panic attack, they will come to me and say, I don't know where that came from. Mm -hmm. And I said, it came from you inside because you're bottling everything up. You can only shove so many items in a closet before the closet busts open. Right. And that is like, that is our shell. We can only stuff so much inside of there before we explode. And that is human. And we never say normal. That's another thing. So when I say that is human, I never say that is normal. You know why? Because normal is just a setting on a dryer. (laughs) Yeah, there is no such thing. There's no such thing thing. as normal. Yeah. Yeah. Right? That's so good. So how do people normally contact you when they are in a crisis or they are in a situation where they're struggling? How do they normally find you? Uh, typically it's word of mouth and people get my phone number and uh, I'll definitely be uh, willing to share it if you guys would yeah. like me to share it. Oh, we'll definitely um, post it. Yeah. Um, so they definitely will call my phone. Some people will text, uh, happy to text. Uh, some people were re- actually was able to help a young man through that had suicidal thoughts through Facebook Messenger. We mm. talked all, all night. It was like till four in the morning. And, you know, I look at him now and that was several years ago. And now he has a child, he's married. And I'm uh, just like, oh, wow. man. And it was one of my son's friends. But because even my kids will tell their friends, like you, you're struggling, you need to talk to my mom. You know, or you need to talk to Nathan, which is my husband. And a lot of the younger men or men will talk, feel safe talking to Nathan as well, because he's a rock star listener uh, like Mm -hmm. me too. So that's good. Can you talk about compassion fatigue? I feel like that's kind of a new word. I mean, it's not a new thing, but it's a new word. And I, you know, I started this new podcast, Interrupted. And I am seeing so many people, their life has been in, interrupted by caregiving, caretaking, and they have compassion fatigue and they don't even know it. Right. 
Absolutely. And compassion fatigue is literally the cost of caring. So compassion fatigue with the cost of caring is you're caring for others so much that we forget to take care of ourselves, right? And I can hold a glass of water out like this for as long as I possibly can, but eventually my cup and my arm is going to get tired, right? I'm not going to fill any more water in it. It's going to be the same amount of water, but as long as I hold it out here, it's my arm is eventually going to start to fall down, right? And that is kind of the cost of caring. We remind people that they need to drink water. They need to take breaks, that it's okay to take a break, that no is a complete sentence. That's very hard for people to understand. They always need to follow up no with a reason why or something. No, no is a complete sentence and that's okay. And that it's okay to step aside if you get into a situation you're feeling overwhelmed. Like, what does that look like? What are the reactions to compassion fatigue? So irritability, snappiness, exhausted, forgetfulness, dizziness. So all those are signs of like compassion fatigue that people don't even realize that that's what they're experiencing. And sometimes when they can take a step back and just rest and let their brain rest, get that drink of water, recharge yourself. We're just like an automobile. We need fuel, right? I used to always say when I drove a car, when I was a younger, you know, I would drive it right until it was E. And my dad used to say, Peggy, E does not stand for extra. And in our lives, that's what we do. We run ourselves all the way down to E and we feel like we still have that extra. We always have that extra. And then we're either down sick and now we can't go help anybody or we're so agitated and irritated that we pull ourselves out of something we love so much. Burnout, right? Burnout is real. You can help so much and then you get burnt out. And then some people will just step back and never go back to their passion again because they got burnt out. So we want to catch them before they get burnt out because they're doing this work because of their passion, their heart, their love. And so if we can teach them about what compassion fatigue is and what that looks like, we can save them for continuing those beautiful, wonderful careers rather than getting burnt out and shutting it out and then going on to something else. Yeah, that's, boy, wow, you said that so well. <laughs> There's so much here to unpack, but Kevin, do you have any questions? Well, I would like to just commend you on what you're doing. That's that's incredible. And and I just wish there was a way to, like, you know, I worked in the crisis line for when I was younger. And are you connected with the crisis centers locally or or to 988 in any manner? I mean, is there a way that people can connect to you rather than just word of mouth or... Uh, so our email address, um, our Facebook, we have Facebook, uh, Rays of Hope LLC, uh, website, Rays of Hope LLC, uh, my personal phone number, which we will post up on the link. Uh, you can get a hold of me, text me that way. I am not currently involved with 988. I give that resource out all the time. I will give a plug to them just because with they're so important, right? 988 yeah. is if people don't know, is the new crisis line, the new suicide yeah. prevention intervention line. But what is beautiful about this line is that you can call if you're even worried about somebody that may be experiencing suicidal thoughts or some yeah. kind of mental break, and they will help you navigate your feelings about it. And they will help you get that those that you're worried about connections. So it's a very beautiful resource to yeah. use. That 988 line is so, 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 so absolutely. Important. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was just thinking because when I was working crisis center up in, in Bellingham, there really wasn't much resources back then. This was in the 90s and Bellingham, you know, being in Whatcom County, there wasn't a lot. And I just wish there was something like that, like your resource I could have given out to people. I mean, I ended up talking to them 
but aside from just being like you, you know, listening and, and wanting to help them, there just wasn't a lot out there other than trying to recommend them to find professional help and giving them resources to try and do that. Rays of Hope can go in and train people to do those things, to do the crisis line so that they're not doing everything, you know, so that it's yeah. not like everyone in your town is calling Peggy, but they can come right. in and train so that people can learn how to do it. Like she said, CPR, it's like if somebody calls you and they're feeling like they, you know, want are thinking about suicide rather than, oh, go call 988. Like, what's your first question? Like, you train people so that they mm -hmm. can uh, help people better until the person can get the help, right? The interim, the CPR until the professionals get there. I am I right about that? 100%, 100%. And that's exactly what I tell people. We are the piece of we are helping support, right? And anybody can do that. Mm -hmm. It does not take a professional to help somebody through getting them the help they need. And that's where people, when I talk to people, I say, do you feel comfortable talking to somebody through suicidal thoughts? And at first they'll say no, but they'll take my course. And at the end they'll be like, oh yes, I would definitely, after taking your course, I feel hundred percent confident talking to somebody about it and connecting them into resources. And then we give them those resources. And what's important about the resources that we give is that they're all up to date. We're never going to give somebody a big resource list and say, good luck with that. And most of the half the resources are no, uh, no good because that does unfortunately happen at times. So we do make sure that the resources we give are live and active and really um, doing what I say that they were going to do. And then we also will sit with the person and walk through calling with them. So we walk alongside of them right? And help them through it and give them the skills to learn to do it themselves. We don't do it for them. You know, I say that I will not, I will not do it for you. I will do 90, I will even do 90%, but you need to do at least 10%. You have to have a buy-in to this to make it work and make you feel good about yourself and what you're doing. If they just step back and people do it for them, and then that's how they're going to live their life. So for us, you're getting a different because we are going to walk side by side with that person and give them the skills skills to be able to do it and feel confident to do it by themselves. Do you have like a schedule of classes? If we go to your webpage where we can go, oh, I'm going to take that class in July or I'm going to, do you, or, or is it just, you go where if people hire you to come and do the class for them? Right now, because we don't have a spot for that and would love to eventually find a, a training spot. Right now we just have our list of classes. So if somebody books us, that's when we go, mm -hmm. um, but we don't have an ongoing class right now. But I'm, I think, going to be working with you, Lori, and some other people to figure out maybe what that would look like so, so people can get a hold of us a little easier, quicker. Yeah. And is a class like, is it a day? Is it a couple hours? What does a class look like? So we can do a four-hour class. We can do an eight-hour class and we can do a two-day two class. It really depends on what they're looking for, what kind of training. So we can do a multi-day training, a four-hour training to an eight-hour training. There's certificates and CEs that people can get credit for their schooling, their continued education uh, courses. So we can give credits that way also for our classes and our courses. That's awesome. I love it that you and your husband are doing this together and yeah. just have and if the anybody same wants heart. To, yes. Thank you. Yeah. He uh, it could not have been any better. You know, when I was a single mom with 10 kids or 10, with 10 kids, when I was a single <laughs> mom with three kids, I just thought it would be us for 
the rest of our lives, you know, and Nathan and I uh, got together. I was a Starbucks manager and he was a customer. And so after two years of him coming in, he finally asked me out. And so and she uh, stood him up I did. because she was a good parent. <laughs> I did stand him up the night of, uh, but he, after two months after that, he asked me again. And so uh, we've been married ever since. And we have the same passion and helping people. And Nathan would do anything for anybody and drop whatever he's doing to help someone. So I got very, very, very lucky uh, when it comes to that. So That's amazing. is there anything we haven't touched on that you want people to know? I just want people to know that their life matters and that, you know, I see you, I hear you and what you say matters. And if you're ever struggling with anything, you can always reach out. I will never judge you. Nobody will here will ever, ever judge you, look down upon you, treat you differently. You are a human being and you matter and you are here and you have purpose. Mm -hmm. And you know, you, there's so many things. There's only one you, there's only one you in this whole universe. And so what you do with your life is your choice. We can continue to live in the past and say, poor me and look at everything that's happened to me. Or we can say, you know what, look at everything that happened to me and look at me now and look where I am now. And now I'm helping others through this. Mm -hmm. So just know that there is, I know that people are floating out there in the darkness right there now, but there is light. If you just look for it, there is light in that darkness and you can get out of that dark place just like I did and change your life. And just, just no, think no, of all the people that who whose lives you've helped them, mm -hmm. you know, make a better choice because you made a better choice because you didn't complete it. And I didn't know that about you when, when we had coffee the other day. So when I just heard bits and pieces of your story, I just thought, isn't it amazing how we can take whatever negative, bad thing, and we can let it ruin us. And that's, I mean, it's a bad thing because it ruins your life, but also it was a bad thing that happened, right? And when children are victimized or we can take it and turn it around. And, you know, one of my pet peeves is people who say all the time, oh, it was meant to be. They probably never had suicidal thoughts. They probably never had abuse. So they don't understand that when they say that people who have struggled with that feel like, oh, so, so my abuse was meant to be, you know, right. it's just like, uh, but on the other hand, we can take anything that happened and turn it around for good. And that is more true than when people are always saying everything is meant to be and yeah. they just don't know. They're just ignorant. They, yay for them. They didn't grow up with that kind of abuse, yeah. right? Yeah. But, yes, absolutely. And, you know, people look at different people a certain way, depending on how they dress, how they act. I always told my staff, no matter what, I just all my career have ended up being a manager for something. Um, and I've always told my, my staff, you dress the part you want, not the part you are. And so I have my image armor. I dress a certain way, the way I, I want my look to be. And so nobody would look at me and probably think that I ever struggled with suicidal thoughts and that I ever tried to complete suicide. And it doesn't stop. I'm here to tell you that I am 45, six years old, and I still struggle sometimes with suicidal thoughts. It doesn't go away fully. And we work through them. And when I have those dark moments, I reach out to my therapist and we just talk through it, what that looks like. And again, I know that I don't want to end my life. I just want to end the pain right there. But those thoughts come into your head and that is human. 
we are all human. And when we have those thoughts, it doesn't mean we're going crazy. It doesn't mean we're bad people. It means that we are human beings and we are struggling with something and we need to talk it out. And so talking is so powerful. People don't realize just how powerful it is. So if you don't have somebody to talk to, I encourage you to find somebody to talk to. Even if it's a text line, if it's a, a the 988 crisis line, they will talk to you all night long. They will talk you through something. Um, so just reach out for help when you're in the dark place because it is a very lonely place to be. I always tell people the feeling alone is feels so alone, if that makes sense. It just, it feels lonely and we need, we need people to talk to. We need that human connection and for people to kind of understand what we're going through and accept us as who we are and not judge us and make us feel less than. Mm -hmm. I love it that you say they don't, those thoughts don't necessarily go away, but you learn how to manage them because I think there is kind of sometimes people think, well, I went to a counselor. I I should be good and healed, but that it is always a process. And there are things that are going to set us back. But as we go, we learn, we get the tools. And like you said, we reach out, we ask for help. We don't isolate. And so I, I love it that you brought that up. I think that's so powerful. Yeah. It's a continuous process. I mean, yes, our, our whole you, life yeah, is a process. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Peggy, where absolutely. can we reach you again? Rays of hope. So rays of hope, LLC.org. Uh, you can reach me on my personal self, 425-244-2387, 24 hours a day. You can call, text that number, leave a message, I'll call you back. And then Facebook, Rays of Hope, LLC. Uh, you can connect with me, Peggy Ray, on Facebook um, and or Nathan Ray, also um, NathanRay.org um, at Rays of Hope. Awesome. So that's it for today. We are going to have a prayer time if you want to stick with us. If not... We believe in you. We want to hear from you. We want to hear your stories. If you like this podcast, please rate and review because that's how other people can find us. And we really want to spread this message. Father, I just thank you for all your blessings. And I praise you for your work in Peggy's life and Nathan's life and the lives that they are touching, the lives that they are reaching and helping And I just pray that you would continue to bless them and bless those that they are helping. And I just pray that more people would be aware and more people would be learning from them and be able to take the course and learn how to help, how to be there when someone's in crisis. And I pray that you would also be there in those times of crisis and that those people would not feel completely alone, that they would know that your presence is with them as well. And Lord, I just want to thank you that you have given Peggy such a purpose in her life and that I pray that it would continue to spread and help and that like CPR, this would be something that we we would learn and know how to handle in this situation, that we would be ready for that time. And I just pray that that would continue. In your name, I pray. Father, I'm so grateful for Peggy that I had the opportunity to meet her so long ago and and that um, that she chose life. And because of that, she is, you know, helping people choose life. And uh, Lord, you know, we always tell people to get help, to ask people, you know, to tell their story. And it is so 
it's so great that somebody's out there training people on how if somebody shares their story, all the good things to say. We learned so much tonight about normal, about completing suicide, about the things that that we think or say that can really be harmful. And and you know, Kevin and I always say, you know, if if you can't say anything, just say I believe you. Yeah. <laughs> and so thank you that Peggy is doing the work and training the people. And and I just pray that uh, people hearing today will reach out and get that help and get that training and and make a difference in their own business, in their own clubs, in their own uh, community, because it is so important. And we're we're seeing so much despair right now. And so the more non-professionals that know how to help to get until someone can get to professional, the better. And so I just thank you. I pray that you will spread this word, that people will hear this and um, want to learn and get the training. And I just thank you so much for the good work her and her husband are doing. And I just thank you for um, rays of hope in your son's name. Amen. Amen.